Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra, and usually your host, Father David Pelican, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Men of the Hearts podcast. Our last episode we had on Bishop Hanchen on explaining how he entered the seminary and how it was a little bit different back in the day as Sacred Heart was a high school, a seminary high school. So that was interesting to hear from him. This month, we welcome a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit who is at the helm of St. Anne's Parish in Warren. We were in the seminary together for a while, and sometimes you can spot him wearing his fingerless weightlifting gloves. <laughs> welcome, Father John Copson. Great to have you on. It's great to be here, Father Craig. I still have weightlifting gloves. Perfect. Not the same pair from years ago. That'd be pretty disgusting. But yeah, I still have the pair of the uh, fingerless weightlifting gloves. Yeah, well, we'll have to explain that to the <laughs> listeners a little bit later on. If you've caught it in the intro, Father David is not in the studio with us today. Someone made him an offer that he couldn't refuse and he couldn't be here with us. The seminary grade point average has just been dropped now that he's not in the room with us because, of course, as I mentioned often, that he had all A's through seminary, uh, eight years of that. I'm not trying to say anything about you, Father John. Uh, it's just uh, Father David's superior intellect over all of us <laughs> here in I'd, the I'd studio. rather not talk about my grades <laughs> in the seminary. Awesome, awesome. Well, Father John, before we get into your vocation story, uh, any blessings or interesting things going on in your life or in your parish? Blessing-wise, uh, we just wrapped up the month of May, the month of Our Lady. Um, I've been a priest for almost eight years. June 7th will be my eighth year anniversary. Awesome. Um, Is that a feast day of any saint or anything? I don't believe so. See, mine's May 22nd, and that's St. Rita, the patron saint of hopeless causes. Okay. So it fits okay. really well with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Blessings from the month of May has been all from the daily rosary. Yeah. And like I mentioned, I've been a priest for almost eight years. I don't want to scandalize the listeners, but even as a priest, I was never one to pray the daily rosary. Hmm. I always loved the rosary. I always felt myself having great Marian devotion. I did the true devotion to Mary when I was in the seminary. Mm -hmm. um, I've always kind of considered myself as a spiritual mama's boy, just always running to Mary when I'm in trouble or need some consolation. But it was really the week before Ash Wednesday, just over a year ago, where I decided to pray the daily rosary every day during Lent. That was going to be my Lenten observance. And I actually started one week before Ash Wednesday. I just felt inspired and I haven't missed a day since. That's awesome. And I just have that deep conviction that over my dead body will I ever miss that rosary. That's awesome. And so just to you know, be here over a year later celebrating the month of May, that rosary has just become such a huge part of my spirituality. And again, I was very familiar with the rosary. Um, I just never kind of sealed the deal in making that private commitment to pray it every day. Yeah. So I would say the biggest blessing recently is just drawing from the fruits of uh, the rosary. Yeah, normal. how do you pray it? Do you do a, like a radio thing or like a podcast or do you just pray it yourself or I'm, you walk and pray? Or? Yeah, I'm kind of old school. I, I walk and pray. Um, Again, not to scandalize your listeners, oftentimes <laughs> when I'm driving, right? yeah. I'm the guy that still will pray a good rosary while I'm driving. I don't feel distracted yeah. uh, either in regards to my driving nor my my prayer itself. Um, there was a really good priest that said years ago, um, I remember being on pilgrimage somewhere, and he said that sometimes when you pray the rosary, it's almost like um, background music. Hmm. where as you're praying the Hail Marys quietly, it's almost just like background music and you're really meditating on the mysteries more. Mm -hmm. He's that sometimes it's like the reverse. You're really focused on every word of the Hail Mary, Our Father, Glory Be. And he said, those are both beautiful ways to pray. Yeah. And I remember when he explained that, it kind of took the pressure off. Like sometimes um, I, I feel like we can put too much pressure on ourselves. Did I pray a good rosary? You know, did I pray a good holy hour? Was I 100% you know, free of distractions. So to answer your question, um, oftentimes I like to go for a rosary walk, 
You know, it just gives me a good excuse to step out of the office, step step out of the, the building and uh, go pray for a bit. But I've often prayed my rosary during my holy hour and from the Blessed Sacrament too. Yeah, yeah, I love walking and praying the rosary. And it, yeah. very often it happens. It's not necessarily that I'm meditating on the mystery. Sometimes it's me preparing my, you know, homily or what am I going to say at this particular meeting or yeah. different things like that. Or even the Lord maybe healing pastors in my life and just me kind of, ruminating on it and the, and the Holy Spirit working through that rosary. Yeah. As, as we say, the Blessed Mother is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, that's, it's really interesting. You know how my rosary goes in my car when I pray to my car? <laughs> it goes, Hail Mary, full of grace. Get out of the way! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> you yelling or someone yelling at you? Uh, I'm usually yelling at people and I have to confess that very often. <laughs> I'm an impatient driver and yes. I need to learn a little bit more patience. So praying with the rosary does help me out a lot. Maybe the the words of the Hail Mary kind of sanctifies your road rage a little bit. Yeah, right? maybe. <laughs> or maybe it just like gives you enough temperance not to like honk the horn, right? Yeah, I'm not honking the horn <laughs> yeah. and I'm not making gestures yeah, or anything like that, yeah. but I'm, I am impatient. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you consecrated mm-hmm. yourself, did you do the St. Louis de Montfort or did you do the 33 days of, of glory? Yeah, it was the old school St. Louis de Montfort. There was a small group of us in the seminary and college seminary at the time that kind of all did it together but it was really done individually and yeah that was uh it was a good experience uh i did find those prayers to be it was more of um a sacrifice i didn't find the prayers to be consoling every night but i just knew that making that commitment I'm going to do this before I go to bed that was good discipline and i feel like in the spirit of saint louis de montfort you know we have to just be more disciplined when it comes to a prayer life, when it comes to uh, health and exercise, when it comes to uh, vocation. Um, you know, I feel like we've lost, in some regards, discipline. Yeah. And uh, I think that Louis de Montfort kind of old school, militaristic uh, style of prayer, it helped me at the time. Yeah. I think some guys, uh, not me, but uh, once they do the devotion, they'll wear like almost like a chain around their wrist or their ankle or something. Yeah, I've and seen I, that. I've kind of heard stories that it's almost like supposed to look militaristic. Hmm. Like you, you've joined the club, you're like a knight now type of thing. So yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that really comes from St. Louis de Montfort or if that's just someone's interpretation of it, but I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. For me, it's always great too because people ask me to pray for them and I forget who I need to be praying for specifically by name yeah. or sometimes I just, you know, what am I going to pray my mass for? Like, what's my intention? And I just, sometimes I just get lost and know it. And I just say, you know, I've given everything to the Blessed Mother. Yeah. She knows what's needed like a good mother does. And I just give it to you, Blessed Mother, and she'll take care of it. And it really brings me peace knowing that yeah. I'm not going to forget anything that I should be remembering at this particular time. So. And when you think about intercessory prayer, does anything really beat the rosary? Um, you know, it's... I don't know if this is accurate, but I feel like maybe I have a small sample size. I feel like in the days that we're living in, people are kind of reclaiming the message of Fatima. I hear more about Fatima in a Paris setting than I've had in, hmm. you know, quite a while. And if you really read what took place in Fatima, you can't really walk away without feeling um, clear as day that we're supposed to be praying that daily rosary yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you really do want to dive into fatima you got to be ready to walk out of that knowing yeah. that you're called to pray that daily rosary yeah. and it used to be i mean my goodness um i would say i started praying the rosary in high school but again it was never it wasn't every day i always kept a rosary in my pocket um at night to this day i'll still kind of put it around my wrist when i go to bed yeah um so it's always been a part of my life, but for some reason, to dedicate 20 minutes to pray a rosary almost seemed like too much. <laughs> it's like, oh, it takes so long to do the rosary. How can I do that every day? And I'm telling you, I, I turned 40 a few months ago, and uh, so it wasn't until I was 39 years old that I kind of overcame that obstacle, and now I just I don't feel that at all anymore. Yeah. And so it just must have been the grace of God that again, that week before Ash Wednesday, just over a year ago, 
Um, he gave me everything I needed, and now I don't find the roser to be burdensome at all. Yeah. And I, I don't, I really don't find myself either. Like midnight, knowing that I still got to pray my rosary before I go to bed, um, just naturally, organically, I've been praying it prior to that, and it just, you know, the, the Holy Spirit gives me opportunities during the day to do it, and. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, praise be to God. I'm glad yeah. that we're talking about yeah, this. Yeah, blessings. Like Holy Spirit working, yeah. right? Like, I, I have such a great devotion to the Blessed Mother. Mm. I love her so much. And I really think that if guys really want to know their vocation and pray in the rosary, yeah. it's just a wonderful way. She's the surest path that leads to Jesus Christ. She recognizes what we need. I remember when I started to apply to the mm. seminary, all of my former sins came back to me as far as like, mm. you're not worthy. You can't do this. And I almost was catatonic. I couldn't speak. I remember being at work that night and people were like, what's wrong with you? And I just was like, I had this fear. And the only thing that brought me comfort, the only thing that just made me feel better was praying the rosary. Mm. And luckily, you know, not luckily, but I mean, with God's grace that I got over that fear mm. and, and none of us are worthy of that call. It's, it's God who calls us and, mm. and, and perfects us in his power and his wisdom to do what he's calling us to do. So, yeah. Amen. Whoever's listening to this, pray the rosary. And yeah. if, if you need to start off small, start off small. Just do a decade of the rosary. Just do a decade. Just do three Hail Marys to get the ball started. And, you know, sometimes, again, we feel like it's, uh, I, I can't do it. I feel like I can't do it. It's like, wow, maybe we're too much inside our own mind. Just get out. And ask do the Holy Spirit to do it. Yeah. And boom, it's going to happen. And I... Um, and I'm kind of living proof of that. And, you know, just Our Lady's titles, uh, Our Lady of Victory, you know, um, the Battle of Lepanto, uh, Our Lady Queen of the Most Holy Rosary. Um, because of a Father Don Calloway book, which I love, by the way, I get them mixed up. He's got a couple about the rosary. Um, you know, he talks about uh, Lepanto. He also talks about... Um, I'm sorry, in another book, he talks about St. Joseph being the terror of demons. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was in college seminary, maybe it was my first year of grad school, I was doing something in the computer lab. Back in the day, we had the computer lab, yeah. remember here? Yeah, because <laughs> like, there was no Wi-Fi. We had no, no Wi-Fi yeah. in the room, so you had to go to the computer lab, and that was your... Well, Wi-Fi was just coming out. <laughs> it was, it was, and that wasn't that long ago. And so I'd be in the computer lab having to get a paper done the next morning, right? So pulling an all-nighter or whatever. I remember Googling, doing a search of Our Lady. I, I forgot what the context was, but I... I could swear I found this old black and white image. Maybe if one of your listeners ever comes across it, they could let you know. Um, it was Our Lady Terror of Demons. Hmm. So it wasn't in reference to St. Joseph, which there is a great reference to him you know, with that title, but it was Our Lady. And it was this image of a uh, Blessed Mother in a black and white. And you have these little, like they look like little monsters, yeah. <laughs> like only the size, like maybe up to her knee. And they're running away from her with like, the look of fear on their face. Yeah. And it was Our Lady Terror of Demons. Wow. I'm like, that is awesome. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, if you yeah. watch any of the YouTube videos of like the popular exorcists and they talk mm -hmm. anything with the Blessed Mother, her name, making them say uh, the Hail Mary out loud, uh, demons are in terror of that. You Amen. Know? So like our Blessed Mother is such a, a great help for us. And in fact, I mean, my blessing that we're continuing on and, and starting this year of prayer for priestly vocations. Mm. And one of the things that we're, we're really trying to do is to get all the rosary groups within every parish to be praying for more priests. Uh, so I know the Blessed Mother will hear us. She knows that our wine is running dry, you know, and mm -hmm. we need more, more men. And on top of that, to pray the luminous mysteries, because I just mm -hmm. think the luminous mysteries really kind of portray a little bit of the priesthood because it's kind of like you know christ coming to light sure you know? so to pray the luminous mysteries for priestly vocations and in fact you can go to our website and actually mm -hmm. sign in formally and say hey i want to i'm going to commit to once a week or even once a day to pray these luminous mysteries for priestly vocations oh, so, beautiful beautiful yeah. and those luminous mysteries are so eucharistic you know with the fifth luminous mystery jesus institutes the yeah. eucharist and uh eucharistic adoration being the fruit of that mystery it's like oh man priests we need to be so eucharistic right yeah. and uh you know again with the rosary part of our spirituality has to be eucharistic adoration yeah i mean you can't those are the two pillars in our life right well another thing that we're doing for this year of prayer for priestly vocations that mm. are holy hours because mm. it's so important to sit before the lord and to hear the lord speak to us and, and to take that time in silence and to turn distractions off and and to just be open to what the lord wants to offer us mm. is so incredibly important you know mm. so yeah 
Amen. Hey, amen. You're just you're doing my work for me. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I had other things written on this piece of paper here, and they seem uh, <laughs> pale compared to what we were just talking about. So, how about we just get into your vocation story and you just tell it like it is instead of uh, sure joking around about these uh, non-essentials. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you know, I think it was eighth grade. It was ninth grade. So I received the sacrament of confirmation when I was in ninth grade. I went to public school, a big public school, played football, played basketball, played tennis. Boy, did I used to get razzed. For playing tennis? <laughs> For being a three-sport athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd say, you're third sport. What are you doing? Copson, what are you doing playing tennis? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, tennis? My dad, by the way, he got me out on the tennis courts at a young age. Yeah. And like, we never really hit over the net. We used to go to the back of the elementary school and just hit the ball off the wall. Yeah. And then we just had a blast doing that. And so I never had formal tennis lessons. Uh, the tennis coach caught me and a buddy hitting the ball around after high school one day. It was in the, you know, late, you know, early spring. And he said, man, we need more guys on the tennis team. Will you guys come <laughs> come play for us? And so we're like, yeah, why not? And uh, the two of us, we were put on uh, doubles right away on the varsity team. So as a freshman, I'm playing doubles, which was really fun. Yeah. And we are trying to, like, learn the fundamentals. <laughs> we didn't know. Yeah, we had I mean, a, a ball decent against the serve, wall. <laughs> decent serve. And then the goal was try to hit the opponent with the ball, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> So if we're standing close to the net, look out, keep your head on a swivel because yeah. that ball's going to get beamed right at you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we just had a blast. And uh, so, yeah, three-sport athlete. Um, and ninth grade, this is a this is kind of a funny story. It's an interesting story. My brother lived out in California. He was getting married. Um, his wife, his fiance, went through RCIA at their local parish, and mm -hmm. uh, she became Catholic before their wedding. And he was getting married um, out there in California in the fall. It was the uh, my freshman year of high school. So me and my family growing up, we had five, I had five siblings and mom and dad always worked hard to make ends meet. And we always had uh, grandma or at one point two grandmas, both my grandmas living with us. We were kind of that household that if you needed a place to stay, you could stay yeah. at our house. So hospitality. Uh, just a lot of hospitality. My mom and my dad were just great. And um, so that's really how they were able to um, kind of set that foundation for me. Uh, just one of charity and hospitality and openness to others. So we didn't take a lot of family vacations because my grandmas always needed care. So we could never really leave grandmas by themselves. Yeah. And uh, we were able to fly out to California for my brother's wedding. And it just happened to be the weekend where I was supposed to do, remember good old confirmation interviews mm -hmm. where you'd sit with the priest and be interviewed one-on-one -on -one, oh, yeah. uh, regarding your, your I've wedding. I've done plenty of You've those. done them yourself, <laughs> right? And I was gonna miss mine because I'm going to California. So the parish said, uh, no problem, we'll reschedule, and, you know, once you get back from your brother's wedding, you can meet with father so-and-so and do your confirmation interview. So I remember going to the parish the next weekend uh, for my confirmation interview, and he said, hey, yeah, where were you last weekend? And <laughs> it was funny because at that point, the wedding was already over. He got married in California. We took a, a overnight trip. It was uh, driving distance to Vegas. <laughs> so I literally had to tell the priest I was in Vegas instead of here at my confirmation. <laughs> Not getting in trouble in Vegas. I'm sure I was yeah, yeah. stuck in the hotel room watching, uh, you know, whatever I was watching. Nothing inappropriate. Um, so I was talking to the priest at my confirmation interview, and he said, I don't I don't think it was much of a, um, I thought it was going to be like a pop quiz, and I'm sure I was just beat right in the face and sweating profusely. And he said, John, uh, I've seen you grow up over the years, and I just want you to keep in mind, I, I think you might have a calling to the priesthood. Wow. And that was the first time anyone's ever brought that up to me. And Public school your whole life. Public school, yeah. and, um, you know, God bless my parents. We always went to Mass every Sunday. But outside of Sunday Mass, uh, you know, my parents would have me, like, go to the uh, children's choir or you know once I got into high school I would go to youth group usually that was because there were girls in youth group right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like hey I could go to youth group um <laughs> but in regards to like going out of my way making my own effort to be involved with the church or service it I didn't do a lot of that and 
for this priest to tell me that he saw something in me, I think that did resonate with me. And it's not like I thought about it over the next four years of high school. It didn't really come back to me into my early 20s that he said that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, by that point, um, I was really an expert in knowing what I didn't want to do with my life when I grew up. And the scary <laughs> thing was I was grown up, right? I was yeah, in my yeah. early 20s. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life in terms of passion. What am I passionate about? Um, I was kind of really looking at career as work. Did you go to college or anything? I went to community college. Uh, I went to Macomb Community, and I did that right out of high school. And I was the guy that kind of putzed around for four years uh, in community school and uh, still did not have a clear focus. And once my buddies started to graduate from university, and now they're going and moving on with their life, that's kind of like where the rubber hit the road for me. Again, I was still going to school, you know, on and off, you know, part-time. I was always working full-time. So I was always doing something, but it was just kind of a bit of a holding pattern. And I remember that priest saying that to me. And in the meantime, I was reading the catechism on my own. Um, I was just starting to learn the faith a little bit more uh, at a deeper level. What was what was the catalyst for that, for you to start taking your faith a little bit more serious? I had a lot of questions regarding morality. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, hey, what does the church really teach about X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Then you crack open the catechism and be like, no. <laughs> no, really? Really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. Okay, if this is true, then, <laughs> yep, sacrifice. Here yeah. we come. Um, yeah. So it was, it was really the, the moral questions of the day. Yeah. I can't imagine they pale in comparison to the moral questions of today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was really that, and you know, it, it was it was Jesus calling me into deeper discipleship. So around that time is when I started to make confession a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, started to go to confession regularly. Uh, started to read scripture a little bit more. Start, was the same priest at the parish, or is this a new? He priest? wasn't. No, no, and I and kind of like never really had contact with him, you know, and it just, uh, it was just that one thing that he said. That's why you never know when you're a priest, if you, the Holy Spirit calls you to say something, you should say something. You have no idea what might resonate and, you know, what the Holy Spirit has in store for that person down the road. Yeah. There's a car report that comes out every year and it interviews all the guys who were ordained for that year. And every year it's like, I think this year it was 71% of the guys who were ordained were asked by their pastors mm. if they considered the priesthood. Wow. It's the highest number. You think mothers would be the highest number. Sure. But mothers, I think, were at like 50%. Okay. Like priests, 71%. So, yeah. like, it, it's amazing the, the power that we as priests have yeah. just to see something in a young man and to say, you know what, I, th- I think you would make a good priest. Absolutely. Yeah. I went to, <clears throat> this was before I knew a lot about it. Um, and even to this day, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the means in the messages. Um, I went to Medjugorje um, twice during those early, my early 20s. And it was someone at my parish who reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in going to this place? And I wasn't too familiar with it. I was a little bit familiar with it because of my mom. Mm-hmm. She knew more about it than I did. Same with um, my mom. Okay. Oh, and fun fact, uh, yeah. Father John is, takes care of my mom at church because <laughs> my mom loves his homilies. I get to hear uh, what you said sometimes. <laughs> Keeps me on the straight and narrow, right? Uh, I know. I got to give a good homily yeah. because you're going to get a report soon there afterwards. <laughs> but I, I, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. You're and talking about Magigoria. That's an honor to have your mom at our parish. It's an honor for me to be at her parish. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this nice uh, individual from my home parish said, uh, if you'd like to go, it, it's, a, it's a good experience. Um, you know, there might be a lot of blessings there for you. Uh, free trip. So that's really all I needed to hear, free trip, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and they, they were serious. It was, they paid for my room and board. I mean, they paid for my airfare. And um, I went there and man, um, that was the first time in my life that I went to mass eight days in a row. I went to confession. I prayed the daily rosary, prayed the daily divine mercy chaplet, uh, Eucharistic adoration. And that was in the stations of the cross that every day for about eight days. So walked away from that 
feeling like, okay, the Lord's calling me to have a, a prayer life, yeah. <laughs> to have a spiritual life. And so I started to kind of read more about spirituality and about uh, devotions and seeing that, you know, it's good to have the head knowledge of what our faith teaches us in the catechism. I'm a big doctrine teachings type of guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of a, um, just cause it's, I think that's how I uh, really came to the decision in my life to, you know, forego my opinions and to accept the teachings of the church as being the teachings of Jesus himself mm-hmm. and having that confidence that his teachings are not burdensome, even though at the time when I was learning more about it, I thought, boy, are those burdensome. Yeah. Um, they're actually liberating. And his teachings, his doctrines, they set us free. Um, so I was really kind of operating out of that context regarding my Catholic faith. And then with the Medjugorje trip, it brought in spirituality and prayer. Yeah. And boy, was that refreshing and consoling. And I think it was really those couple of experiences in my early 20s um, that I felt a commitment to the church. And it I started to investigate more about what could I do as a married man. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> you know, is there a good enough paying job in the church for a layman? Yeah. So I started to kind of look into like, you know, different avenues that's in the church for um, men who feel called to be husbands and fathers. Were you dating at this time? I mean, did you have a steady girlfriend? Or? I did like basically throughout high school and into my early years of college, I was uh, dating one girl okay. and it was a long, it long-term was a long, relationship. It, it was a long one. And, uh, uh, after that, that was hard. It was hard when that relationship came to an end. Uh, you know, God brings things to a happy conclusion. Um, she's married and has children, and she lives out of state and got married in the church, I know. And uh, I remember she, almost eight years ago, she reached out to me knowing I was being ordained and just sent me a, a really nice message of um, support. Yeah, so cool. it's just neat how God will bring things to a happy conclusion. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I was uh, dating during that time and uh, dated off and on after that. And um, I do have to say, thinking about a potential calling to the priesthood, the thought of celibacy never terrified me. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I ever put too much thought into it. <laughs> that wasn't like a, a huge thing in my mind at the time. Um, cause I, I was more the mindset that if he's calling me to this, then he'll give me everything I need. Um, it's going to take work. It's going to take discipline. Um, it'll take sacrifice, but so does being called to be a, a husband and father. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, working in the parishes, God bless these men. They're putting in long days of work and long hours with their kids and, they got happy lives and happy vocations, and it's wonderful what, what they do out there. So uh, sacrifice comes in anything worthy. So um, I would say maybe over the course of six months, again, in my early 20s, I started to pray more about um, a potential calling to the priesthood. So I started to study more about the sacraments and things like that, uh, couple people told me you should go talk to father so-and-so or father so-and-so and uh i had one uh sit down with a priest and he basically told me don't do it really <laughs> yeah. wow yeah. and so uh and then uh but i had another sit down with someone else and they said oh you should do it yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i i could at the same time um i was persistent and i was persistent and yeah. you know pursuing whatever vocation god is calling me to so kind of what became my prayer was god if you're calling me to dig ditches I'll dig ditches. If you're calling me to um, work in a nursing home, I'll work in a nursing home. If you're calling me to be a police officer, to be a prison guard, if you're calling me to be a priest, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Mm. Um, I should go back uh, into my years at Macomb. I started taking law enforcement courses at Macomb Community College. This was right after 9-11. So, I mean, hopping in a time machine and going back to that time, you remember the patriotism during yeah. that time, right? Yeah. And uh, I was taking law enforcement classes during that time. Uh, I remember there were a couple of students in my class that stopped what they were doing and they joined the military uh, right after uh, the 9-11 attacks. Um, I had plans on becoming a police officer. At the time, uh, jobs were scarce in law enforcement it was really competitive, and there weren't a lot of places hiring. Even to get into the police academy 
was really tough at that time. Yeah. I had a really good professor uh, at school who was a former sheriff, I believe, or she worked for the sheriffs. Um, we had, as part of our curriculum, we had to go do a one-day tour of a corrections facility. So we went to Macomb Correctional Facility mm -hmm. and basically spent a day in prison. Yeah. And that was part of our course. And she explained to me uh, prior to that experience that, you know, if you become a corrections officer, that's a good pathway into law enforcement. Hmm. And so I was really kind of treating that as, you know, come check it out and talk to some talk to some corrections officers, and uh, that was kind of the plan that I had. I wanted to become a corrections officer, and um, I believe uh, they would have reimbursed me if I worked for them for a certain amount of time to then go into a police academy. Wow. So that would have been like the setup moving yeah. forward in terms of career. So I went to the correctional facility, and it was a good experience, uh, and I left that experience knowing that I am not going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, <laughs> I am not going to become a corrections officer. Not, not to say it's, uh, it just lets you say it wasn't my calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, well, it's funny is that one of the summers that we had at the seminary, we all had our different summer ministry to do. And me and a friend actually did jail ministry and, yeah. and I won't say where we were at, but, yeah. um, it was really interesting the first day. Um, the guy who ran everything. I don't think it was the warden. I don't know what his name was, mm -hmm. but he just put us into one of the pods with like 25 guys and all the doors were open. And mm -hmm. he's like, just go talk. And all the guys were like flabbergasted mm -hmm. that this was happening. He's like, this has got to be God. Like yeah. no one ever does this. No, I, I was in, I was in a cell with a guy who was showing me how to like, they make hangers and mm -hmm. how they make handballs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It was crazy. <laughs> He's like, what were you doing <laughs> in someone's cell? Mm -hmm. But it was just amazing that, uh, yeah. you know, they let us in and they knew that we were studying to be a priest and yeah. somehow these doors were open. And um, yeah. it's a great metaphor of how God releases Absolutely. Places from their prison of their sins. And yeah. Things. And, you know, it's good to kind of have these conversations because it kind of jogs my memory, too. Um, during that time, my mom was doing prison ministry. Really? So every single Sunday, my mom would go to morning mass with us, the family. Then she would get enough hosts. And God bless the priest at the time. He would let her take 30 hosts uh, after mass. And she would go to the prison and she would lead a Bible study and give the Catholic men their Holy Communion every wow. Sunday. And there were a few others that did that, um, but my mom wasn't on a rotation. She was there every Sunday. And she did that for 20 years. Did that influence you at all to see how your mom ministered? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I, I have no doubt too that kind of have the spiritual on one side and the practical on the other. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, knowing that my mom, and those were my years of high school too, knowing that my mom would um, every Sunday go to the prison uh, for prison ministry. Also, think about every holiday, Christmas, Easter, the Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday. My mom was there. She went to the prison for all those. Wow. And um, I remember her talking to my dad and to us, but really to my dad about, you know, she felt called to do prison ministry. And I was like, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean? You're going you're gonna, to, my mom's mind, you're just like five foot. Yeah. You know, she's, she's going to, she's going to waltz into prison, <laughs> yeah. you know, proclaim the gospel to uh, the men of the prison. And I was like, oh, mom, maybe God's calling you to something else, right? They probably treated her with so much the respect club. too. <laughs> yeah. They, no, they loved her. Yeah. They, they appreciated her and her sacrifice. Yeah. And this is so cool. I mean, again, it's just affirmation after affirmation. Um, I'm trying to remember if probably I was... kept you out of prison too. Cause you're like, my mom's going to bring me communion. If I can't keeps, it, keeps you on the straight and narrow. And you know, and my, the, the stories that my mom just had about these men's character, that there is authentic conversion going on in yeah. this place. And I have no doubt that some of the holiest people are in prison now because of their conversion experience in yeah. prison and they've done a 180 in their life and they're in there proclaiming the gospel and evangelizing. Amen to that. It's amazing. Yeah. And um, we I'll, believe in redemption. We oh, believe in forgiveness in this absolutely. world just wants to cancel people. And it's just not what we teach. No, everybody has the chance, second chance, third chances with the Lord. Amen. As many times Amen. As we turn to the Lord, he'll forgive. Paul was uh, Saul before he was Paul. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
I think it was maybe college seminary. Uh, I received a Christmas gift in the mail. I think it was like UPS or whatever, FedEx or something. And it was from, it was a leather-bound Bible with Jesus on the cross as the front cover, my initials, JDK, along the side binding, John Daniel Copson, and then my favorite passage from the Bible on the back cover, and it's the Bread of Life Discourse. And it was handmade and stitched from a man who was in prison that was released and paroled. And as a gift... I mean, my mom had such an impact on his life. He knew that I was discerning priesthood, and he sent me that Bible. That's amazing. And uh, I don't remember if there was even a message with it, but my mom's like, that man. And she never told me his name, and I never asked. And um, she said, he is praying for your vocation, whatever that is. So, I mean, there's God was working intensely. And um, so kind of like going back to the spiritual and the practical, I think I was trying to like make them both work, but like in accordance to my will. So like, you know, prison guard, law enforcement on the side, you know, maybe helping out at the parish. I wanted, you know, I was was trying to trying to figure it out. And so what was going on where you're just like, okay, now like all these things are happening. I had these amazing experiences. I had examples in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm seeking the truth. I've talked to different people. I've gotten different, (laughs) you know, direction and, and some some good, some bad, you know, and all that different type of stuff in between. So what what was the point where you're like, okay, I think I'm called to the priesthood and I need to apply? So um, it was feeling a, a huge desire to defend the Catholic faith. And I just came to the point that if I want to do anything with my life, it's... Uh, to defend the Catholic faith and to help others to learn about the Catholic faith and to learn about Jesus. And it was just that that prompted me into applying for the seminary. And I met with a priest prior to application, uh, applying for it. And he told me, John, when you enter the seminary, you're not signing the dotted line that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's calling you to be a priest. You're simply saying that you want to discern if this is your calling or not. Mm. And as soon as he told me that, it took all the stress off of me. I was like, man, I can apply for that. You know, I can I can get on board for that. So I did. Yeah, this place is not a prison. You're not. It's you're not, not a prison. Here. No, no. And, you know, again, uh, so it's just that, again, that reassurance that um, I don't have to, it's not like I'm telling the seminary or my bishop or anybody that, hey, I'm called to be a priest. It's simply God's calling me to something. He's either calling me to be a husband and a father or a priest, and I, I want to discern this. And I do feel a desire myself to be a priest, but we got to discern, discern this. And another priest here at the time said, um, guys, I hope the, the stress is also uh, alleviated from you that you along with your spiritual director, but if you look at the big picture, it's you along with Holy Mother Church that's discerning your vocation. And when he said that, I'm like, amen, right? It's not just yeah. me making a decision. And uh, with that, I entered seminary. It was uh, Father Jim Bilo at the time was the vocations director. Um, came into his office and had a sit down. And I think, what did he tell me? He told me, he would never want to cross paths with me in a dark alley. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think this was a good interview. <laughs> no, that's great. And I, I was wearing the polo and the khakis and everything. Yeah, you know? like, yeah. Well, you kind of got that vibe about you. And that's what, uh, you know, to our listeners joking around with the yeah. fingerless gloves. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah. that, you know, like you're walking down the, yeah. the seminary going to work out and you got these gloves on. And it's like, you're going to steal my lunch money or something. <laughs> it's with my arm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no. No, but he had a good sense of humor, and um, so not long after that, I was uh, accepted and uh, entered college seminary uh, the fall of 2005. And I was I had enough college credits uh, in community school to knock off like my first year of undergrad studies. So mm-hmm. I guess I came in like as a sophomore, and so three years of college, and then um, in my discernment, it was my last year of college seminary. It was right before the Christmas break. In my personal prayer, I was really kind of laying it thick onto the Lord that I wanted you to let me know. Mm -hmm. 
I wanted certitude beyond a shadow of a doubt before I get into theology, before I enter into grad school, yeah. before I start wearing the collar. Because yeah. that's when in you the, get candidacy. In the, in the building. That, yeah. That's when you get candidacy and start wearing the clerics inside yeah. the building. And I wish we had Father David here to explain candidacy <laughs> and, and all its wonder and everything like that. But for those who don't know, it's the idea that even though you're in the seminary for the college years, when you receive candidacy, it's like, okay, it's it's official. We're recognizing you as someone who's a candidate for the priesthood. And, and really, when you receive the candidacy, the hope is is that you're going to move on. It's yes. like this is no longer about just discerning. You've had that time. Yes. Now this is really time to, you know, I mean, it's not like you're stuck there, but yep. we're acknowledging there's something there and mm-hmm. that. You know, you're making yeah. a commitment as yeah. well. And also the individual, he's seeing that, right? Yeah. And um, and I took that very seriously. And to the point that I didn't feel that level of certitude that I wanted or felt like I needed. Yeah. I think looking back on it, I was basically asking the Lord to kind of like separate the clouds and appear to me and let me know one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but with a peaceful heart, I let the seminary know during the break that I wasn't going to go on to theology. Yeah. I was going to quote unquote discern out discern of the out. seminary. Yeah. And um, they were really gracious with me when I told them that. And, um, you know, they were just so respectful of my decision, um, very professional. And I ended up leaving at the end of the, of the semester. I had one more semester to go to finish my uh, degree in. Um, the BA in philosophy. Yeah. We were in the seminary at the same time yeah. together at that time. And then they yeah. realized that you weren't coming back. I'm like, Johnny's not coming yeah. back. Yeah. And those are always hard things. And then yeah. you had to send the email out at the end of the, you know, yeah. winter semester to, to your brothers. To your brothers I feel called yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Okay. And you're always kind of waiting. Okay. We're, we're getting to be uh, in March, April. These emails are going to start to roll out for yeah. guys that aren't coming back. And usually it's the guy's first year in the seminary. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they've given it a fair shot and, yep. and they don't feel necessarily called. And, yeah. And that's right. But it was a little bit different for your story, of course, because you did discern out. And, I did. and what did you, how long were you out of this? Uh, I was out for two Obviously, you came back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was out for two years. two years. What were you doing at that time? So I started doing a little bit of landscaping. I started to do. That summer was mostly that uh, my aunt was battling ovarian cancer, and her battle became really difficult. Um, my uncle was able to take a bit of a leave of absence from work, but they needed him back at work. So the timing worked out well that I became my nurse's primary caregiver, and my, um, my aunt uh, was able to stay at her house, and I just would come every day and spend all day long with her. and. Uh, you know, she was very independent, but would need help here and there. And so I took care of her from August until she died that fall. Wow. And, um, you know, we'd have nurses come by and uh, check up on her. I would drive her out to the cancer hospital and uh, take her to her doctor's appointments. Um, during that time, my uh, aunt came to a place where she wanted to meet with the priest. So I got to make that call on her behalf. and. Uh, God bless the good parish priest. He came out and gave her the last rites and heard her confession and gave her Eucharist and gave her the anointing of the sick. And uh, she died. And it was during that time that I decided uh, that maybe I was called to the um, medical field. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you were doing it. That's what I was doing. And I I found value in that and purpose. Um, so I got a job at a nursing home that was attached to a hospital and I had to do like a little, uh, summertime training program to be a certified nurse's assistant. They call it a CNA or mm-hmm. we called it Cena. I was a Cena yeah. and I worked the graveyard shift. I actually shift. know someone who's, who's in that program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult work. It's like Mother Teresa style work right there. Yeah. Um, I worked the midnights. And I would work from 11 at night until 7.30 in the morning. And you either had two days off in a row every other week, and then you would have two separate days off where you would be on three days, off one, on for two, off. Um, it was hard work at midnights because, you know, you come back home, it's 9 a.m., and, you know, the world is waking up and you're trying to go to bed. Yeah, I worked and, midnights at UPS, and it was just oh, my world was turned upside down. It was awful. I could never. <laughs> I try to get those, uh, you know, those dark uh, blinds on the windows to kind of block out the sunlight, and 
um, yeah, I could never maybe get like five, six hours of sleep a day and then try to work out, right? Put on the fingerless <laughs> weightlifting gloves. I was just tired all the time. You must have just been tired. I was constantly yeah. tired, yeah. constantly tired. And uh, then you go back in and you take care of, you know, I'd be responsible for 20, 25 people. Um, a lot of responsibility. Working on the midnight shift. Yeah. And, yeah, it was uh, it was challenging work for sure. Rewarding, but challenging. So that's a vocation in and of itself. Yeah. Um, you know, God calls us to different things. So I was working in that job uh, for about a year. And one night I came into work. And so, like, for me to set the context real quick, um, most of the positions – were filled by women. <laughs> yeah. So I was like one of two guys that were on the midnight shift. And you were like always doing the heavy lifting yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I know. think there was one other Cena, and then I think there was one other guy that worked in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So um, all the other Cenas and the nurses were all women. And uh, there was, and I was, you know, again in my 20s, you know, I've always already kind of lost my hair, <laughs> kind of look like an older guy. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, this job was like mostly younger women out of high school yeah. or early college that are going to, you know, segue into uh, a nursing program or something. Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, that was kind of like the context. And there's a really nice nurse um, over the, the months of working together. We wouldn't cross paths all too often, but when we did, religion would come up. And um, I remember one one night she kind of peppered me with questions. And, you know, at that point we were friendly with each other. And she was a good married woman, a Protestant. And she knew that I was Roman Catholic. And, um, you know, I think she said that to me at one point. She goes, that's why you're compassionate because, you know, you love Jesus. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was really nice. And I used to keep my rosary in my scrubs pocket. I remember there was one night where there one of my residents, she was— You wore OR scrubs? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I did. I'd buy them from the retail store. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, oh, are they? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was, there. I was going to say a joke, but I uh, yeah. I think Prudence, <laughs> Angel of Prudence. Prudence. Sla- <laughs> Angel of Prudence slapped me upside my head. <laughs> so uh, I had a resident one night who was uh, on comfort care. She was on hospice and, you know, God bless her. She was probably in her 90s. And, uh, I, you know, I vividly remember her daughter, her grown-up daughter being at her bedside all night long. Again, I'm on the midnight shift. And I remember her checking in with me and she goes, you know, John, I live just like, you know, 20 minutes down the road. I'm going to run home, you know, grab something to eat, take a quick shower and I'll be right back. And I said, absolutely. I'm here. Well, it was during that time that her mom died. Mm. And I remember being at her mom's bedside and I prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I remember trying to be kind of sneaky about it because there were some, you know, other nurses and uh, medical professionals coming in and out. And uh, so I just kind of kept my hand in my scrub pocket. And I just remember St. Faustina in her diary saying, if you pray this in the presence of someone dying, uh, Jesus will show up, not as the just judge, but as the merciful savior. Mm-hmm. So I remember awesome. the, I even remember the woman's name who died. And I'm like, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> and I, like, I hope someone does this for me one day. And uh, so just those little experiences, I was, I don't know, um, there was another story. There was a story where another nurse came to me and said, hey, John, we have a resident who's Catholic who would like to see a priest before they, they die. And I remember going out of my way to try to find a priest. Find a priest. And it was really hard to find a priest. Well, and um, I get midnight shift. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, midnight yeah. shift. And trying to, like, you know, get someone out real quick. But, you know, again, God, God provided. Um, but I just remember these little experiences of there's a need. There's a need for priests. There's a need for intercessory prayer. There's a need for sacraments. So I think that kind of left a big impact on me. Uh, going back to my uh, nurse friend, uh, you know, again, we we became friendly with each other, and uh, she felt comfortable enough to ask me questions, and she just one night peppered me with questions. She says, all right, so why, why are you here? What, what's your next step? What are you planning on doing with your life? Yeah. And I, I was just kind of like vague about it, and she, I said, oh, maybe I'll kind of get into like rehab. Rehab seems like, you know, getting into that. And she goes, that's a lot of studies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but nah, I'm sure I could handle it, you know. And uh, she's like, what was your plan before working here? And I'm like, okay. So I would try to be as vague with her as I could. She goes, where'd you go to college? I said, Macomb. 
<laughs> she goes, that's it? I said, then I went to a, a very small private college in Detroit called Sacred Heart. And notice I'm not lying, right? Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. is there any more private college in Detroit than Sacred Heart? Sacred Heart. You know? <laughs> the college is like, you know, over there on the, the, the wing of the building. Yeah. Um, and she said, you went to Sacred Heart. Okay. She goes, what was your degree in? And I said, um, philosophy. Yeah, I said it was a, it was a, a bachelor of arts in philosophy. She's like, philosophy? You thought you'd get a job with that? <laughs> and I said, well, no, that, that wasn't the end all be all. She goes, oh, so you wanted to go into grad school? I said, yeah, the plan was going to grad school. Again, I'm not lying, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to theology, right? And then she goes, so you're going to get a, a, a master's in philosophy? I said, no. I was going to get one in theology or divinity. divinity yeah. <laughs> and she's like, study of God. She goes, what were you going to do? I said, I was going to become a priest. Yeah. And, you know, I finally, like, the cat's out of the bag now, yeah, right? Yeah. And she was just, like, she had the biggest smile on her face. And, again, she's like, that's why you're compassionate. And she, she said something to the effect of, I'll be praying for you. And, of course, word gets out, and before you know it, it actually, you're the, you're other, the little priest that, other people started calling me Father John, right, <laughs> at work, okay, yeah. which was, and even over the intercom once, uh, Father John come down to the, the nurse station. <laughs> and I mean, they, and they weren't being disrespectful. It was, yeah, yeah. it was endearing and actually like opened up more opportunity for conversation. And I, I wasn't embarrassed by it. It was just, uh, it was kind of a neat thing. And uh, I think my lunch break was at like 3 a.m. And I remember being in the break room and another uh, you know, person came in and asked me for advice. Like they were basically treating me like a priest. Yeah. And um, so those experiences were really good. And then what really capped it off was one night I came into work, uh, the nurse that I just mentioned, uh, she said to me, John, we have a resident. He's not on your wing. You're assigned to a different wing tonight. So this would be an additional resident for you to take care of. But he's a priest, and his name is mm -hmm. Father Harry. And she goes, Father Harry is legally deaf. He's blind. He's legally blind. Wow. Um, he's a double amputee. Um, Sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no arms, no legs. Yes, so I know. Can't hear, can't see. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Double amputee, uh, diabetic. I mean, um, she said he's not responsive. Uh, he's on comfort care. But I just thought you being a former seminarian, it might be nice for you to, you know, be his Cena tonight. And this could be his last night. Wow. So I'd be honored to do that. So I went into Father's room, and again, exactly like you mentioned, the Metallica song, he... You know, it was like a Teresa, a mother, uh, a mother Teresa moment where you just your heart kind of broke seeing him in this condition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my job was just to keep him comfortable, keep him clean. Um, he wasn't eating. He wasn't drinking. Uh, he didn't eat solid food in God knows how long. He wasn't able to, you know, drink water out of a straw anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just legit comfort care. And um, I remember he did have one good ear, quote unquote, good ear. And I, I put my mouth close to his ear, kind of like my mouth to this microphone right now <laughs> in the studio. You got to keep your, your mic uh, right, right near the mouth when you're being interviewed by Father Craig. I've learned. You know it. <laughs> so I would, I would be this close to Father Harry's good ear. And I just said to him, hey, I used to be in the seminary. Um, I discerned out. If you could just pray for me and my vocation, whatever that is, Father, I'd appreciate yeah. it. And I just figured to myself, if I'm going to get a rise out, if anyone's going to get a rise out of him, it's going to be a, a former seminarian, yeah. right? And uh, just total unresponsive. The only time that he responded was when he groaned out in pain if I rolled him from one side to another to just take care of him. Yeah. And uh, just throughout the course of the night, uh, I'd make my rounds, pop into his room, uh, during every every rotation there and uh, check up on him and I just pray for him and I remember I was coming to the end of my shift and it would have been the last time I was in father's room and I said to him father um, it was an honor to take care of you tonight and um, you know I just want to thank you for your priesthood and all those years of offering up this the sacraments and hearing confessions just thank you for what you've done wow. and uh, I started to walk out of the room and then I came back right away. I said, all right, Father, I got to get something off my chest. <laughs> I'm like, I, I discerned out two years ago almost, and a year and a half, whatever. And now I'm starting to feel that maybe God is calling me to be a priest. 
And I'm starting to feel like I want to be a priest. Not that I didn't before, but I wanted this level of certitude during college, and I didn't feel like I received that. And now I'm starting to think like, man, maybe he really is calling me to be a priest. And I don't know, I'm kind of scared to like take that next step. Is it coming from me? Is it coming from him? It's hard for me to discern all this. Father, just pray for me. Please pray for me. So I was pretty passionate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad the nurse and walk in to witness this. <laughs> like, what are you doing to the resident? <laughs> leave that poor man alone. And so I'm getting ready to leave the room. And literally, my back is to father. And I'm stepping out of the, the uh, hospital room. And I, he started to talk. And he said, John, I heard everything that you have to say. Our Lord is calling you to be a priest. Now you go back to the seminary. Wow. And so it was like, to me, it was clear as day. And yeah. looking back on it, the devil can play tricks on me. And I'm like, did, I, did he really say that? You know, um, I just heard it clear as day. And wow. I was like, whoa. So I went out and got the nurse and I said, hey, I got father to say something. <laughs> <laughs> and so by the time we came back in the room, he was just back to being totally uh, wow. unresponsive. And I remember coming back to work the next night and the nurse told me that he died maybe an hour, maybe a couple hours after I had left that morning. And I kind of kept that a big secret, that experience. And it was Lent, uh, maybe a couple months later. And my brother, he was going to do a weekend retreat uh, out at Manresa. Mm -hmm. It was just a men's retreat during mm -hmm. Lent. And he said, hey, if you can get the time off, off of work, I'd be happy to pay your way. It's been a while since you've probably been on retreat. I said, yeah. So I was able to go on a weekend retreat. And I found the oldest, you know, uh, nicest looking priest in the group at Manresa. And I'm like, that's the guy I'm going to choose to tell the story to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I approached this priest and said, Father, before the retreat ends tomorrow, could I have like a half an hour of your time for a little bit of spiritual direction? Yeah. He said, absolutely. And uh, I told him the whole story that I told you. And I said, uh, I concluded it with, you know, I really don't know if that was God, if that was me making this up. I don't know if God is really calling me to be a priest or not. This priest jumped out of his chair and said, how stupid can you be? <laughs> you wanted certitude. This was your St. Paul moment. God just knocked you off your horse. Jesus appeared to you through Father and told you exactly what to do with your life, man. And I was like, oh, Father, take it easy, man. Take it easy. So, uh, I mean, again, it was uh, just so uh, consoling. Yeah. And uh Again, I took my sweet time with it. Maybe a few months later, uh, I, I started making holy hours again and uh, felt very much at peace. And I called vocations uh, office. It was Father Tim Burney then. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was happy to hear from me. And I reapplied and reentered seminary and off I went. Yeah. And then how was, you know, we don't have to get in too much detail, sure. but how was the next four years then in, in seminary? I mean, did you feel comfortable like this is this is what God's calling me to do? I might have some doubt, of course. There's yeah. even with these miracle things that happen in our life, it doesn't give us ultimate certitude. But, sure, sure. But you I, felt comfortable moving forward. Overall, I felt very comfortable, and um, those lingering lingering questions that I had just weren't as dominant anymore. That yeah. doubt that I had, you know. There's always like a little voice in the back of your head. Am I making this up? Did I imagine this? Did this really happen? Is this from God, from me, or from the devil? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't intense anymore. And I just, so um, theology, I just lived in a lot of freedom. That's awesome. And there's no more second guessing that thing. And I just think it's really great just to hear your story, to say, okay, you know, like you go to the seminary and you have a good experience, but mm -hmm. you don't feel called, you know, mm -hmm. and then you kind of, are doing some good things outside of the seminary. I mean, uh -huh. taking care of your aunt and then, you know, taking care of people in the nursing home is not easy, easy things to do and, and are, are necessary. You know, it's such a beautiful thing to take care of those who, you know, need our help. Um, but, you know, it wasn't enough and, and, and God maybe was strengthening you. I don't know, like, yeah. I mean, maybe he was showing you something even in the midst of doing this necessary work that he has other work for you and yeah. he gives you this miracle that you, yeah. know, you needed. It, didn't seal the deal, but it mm -hmm. got you enough to go back into the seminary and yeah. that seminary was willing to take you back and take sure. a look at your life and to see, okay, we still believe you're sure. a good candidate. And that's amazing, you know, because like, there's no yeah. one path. It's not like you need to know at age 18, right yeah. after high school, that I'm going to be a priest and I have to sign the dotted line. And mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm never, you know, I'm stuck for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you think that, if you're listening right now and you're thinking that, 
just listen to Father John here. I mean, God will work in your life just as God worked in Father John's life, and he'll lead you to where you need to go. Amen. And, you know, I don't want to discourage anybody in regards to, like, you know, my story sounds more supernatural and miraculous. Um, but even when I was going through it, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. You know, it was still just me and my practical mindset, you know. And the, what I've learned is that whatever it takes, whatever that man needs to hear the voice of God, if you're open to it, God's going to talk to you. Yeah. And if you need more of a St. Paul moment, he'll give you a St. Paul moment. If it needs to be a little bit more subtle, contemplative, you know, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, it might be that. Um, but if you're just persistent and you're you're willing to be um, persevering in pursuing whatever God's calling you to do, he's going to show you. What good father gives you a snake when you ask for a fish. <laughs> That's right? it. That's it. And like, sometimes it's like not on our time, right? Yeah. Um, but it's uh, at the end of the day, it's, man, his timing's perfect. Yeah. And praise be to God that you got to have those experiences mm. to go back with a different attitude and, yeah. and not to do the next four years in this fear or this doubt that uh, yeah. could have potentially made you leave forever, you know? Amen. I miss your vocation. Yeah. But this, yeah. Is, this is amazing. This yeah. is wonderful. I've never heard that story. I mean, I've heard, mm. I've heard other people hint at that story, but I've never mm. heard it out of your mouth. So that's really cool. Yeah. 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 God, God is pretty cool. <laughs> and what year were you ordained again? Uh, so I was ordained uh, June 7th, uh, 2014. So I'm coming up on eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Praise be to God. Amen. I love it. I'd never give it up. Um, you know, it's, it's a sacrifice, you know, working in the nursing home was a sacrifice. Uh, being a student for me was a sacrifice. This is a sacrifice, but man, it's like a, it's a sacrifice that feels good. Yeah. You just know that you're doing God's will and that he's doing good things through you for others. And, um, man, I, if I had a million more opportunities to be a priest, I'd, I'd take them all. Yeah. And like what? Like, what kind of life do you want? Like, I mean, do you want a life of ease where you never have to do anything and you never accomplish anything? That's that's a boring life. Oh, you have millions and millions of dollars, but you never earn or do anything with it. It's like we're called to make sacrifices. We're called to be courageous and adventurous. And, and part of that courageousness and adventure is, is not knowing the outcome sometimes, you know, that you could potentially fail. Yeah. But with God's grace... He won't let you, you know, and, and putting that trust in God. So, Amen. yeah. So how about I give you the last word here? What would you tell to a, a man right now who's listening and, and uh, maybe feels a little bit like you and, and thinks, okay, you know, um, maybe I feel called, but I'd really like God to give me a little bit more certitude. What would you, what would you tell that person? I would say there are um, really good priests in the archdiocese that you can talk to. Um, I think this podcast opens up a door in regards to, I mean, you are the vocations director. I'm the vocation. And I mean, if we have one guy listening to this who's saying, man, I, I don't know, maybe I am called, you're a great guy to talk to. And I mean, the way that you can network, I mean, men can talk to me. They're, we have so many good priests. And I'm not saying you and I are good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're sinners trying to become saints and we're all very flawed. But man, there's opportunities and there's opportunities to talk to just normal, regular priests about your questions. So you don't have to figure this out on your own. And um, so I think that's probably my best advice is reach out to the vocations office, talk to Father Craig. Um, man, we got we got guys that are willing to talk to you and they to hear you out and most likely whatever you're going through you know some of us have already gone through right? yeah. and so yeah. any questions doubts concerns fears whatever uh we, we've already asked all those too so um and not yeah. only that too we're not going to lead anybody astray it's like we know what it feels like to go through that so yeah i don't think any priest at least any priest that i know would be like well you have to go into the seminary now like, no it's your, it's your duty to you know like I don't... only if you're called yeah, yeah o exactly. only if you're called exactly. right i mean we wouldn't want anyone to take this on if they're not called to it exactly um so uh that'd be my best advice but also uh just you know again uh, you heard my little testimonial about the rosary, pray the rosary, yeah. uh, just chisel. It can be really hard, but just chisel time aside every day for prayer. If it's 30 minutes, 30 minutes. If it's a busy day, then make sure you have 10 minutes of silence before bed. You know, close your eyes, imagine Jesus next to you, and just talk to him about your day. And, you know, just ask him to give you the strength and the desire to do his will. For me, that was a huge point in my life. I remember those two years that I was out of seminary on my birthday, 
I went to an adoration chapel. I was dead tired because I worked midnights. Mm -hmm. And I, it was the first holy hour I prayed that I can remember since leaving seminary. And I knelt before the tabernacle and I said, if you want me to be a priest, give me the desire to want to be a priest. In essence, what I'm asking you to do is help me to want to be a priest if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's, <laughs> and a, so, that's a beautiful prayer. But that's it. That's desire. And it's like, Lord, if whatever you want me to do, just give me that desire. So that just that surrendering, I think just a simple prayer like that, you're now surrendered yourself to Jesus and to his will, knowing that his teachings are not burdensome, knowing that, man, if you do his will, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna have happiness, yeah. and it's a glimpse of the happiness to come in eternal yeah. life. Because so, there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of guys who ha feel like they might be called, but they don't have a desire. You know, yeah. like, I've never thought about being a priest. I don't want to be a priest, but that's yeah. a beautiful prayer. Yeah, like it's a dangerous prayer, but it's a great. prayer. It is because now yeah. now you're serious with God, and yeah. he, he'll take you up on it. But hey, if, <laughs> if I'm called to it, give me a desire. What what better prayer can Amen. there be, right? Like, why would God want you to do something that you would totally hate? And, yeah. and, and not not be good at in a sense of yeah. with his grace of course you know so yeah. amen to that amen, that's awesome brother. father Sean yeah, yeah thanks for having I me I know I had a reason to call you <laughs> and come on the show <laughs> absolutely well you want to lead us out in a prayer I do I actually brought one with me perfect um this is from one of my favorite responsories that comes from the breviary um Oftentimes we pray this in the liturgy of the hours of the breviary uh, on a martyr's feast day in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We are warriors now, fighting on the battlefield of faith, and God sees all that we do. The angels watch, and so does Christ. What honor and glory and joy to do battle in the presence of God, and to have Christ approve our victory. Let us arm ourselves in full strength, and prepare ourselves for the ultimate struggle with blameless hearts, true faith, and unyielding courage. What honor and glory and joy to do battle in the presence of God and to have Christ approve our victory. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father John, for coming on. It was a pleasure to hear your story and to talk to you. Father Craig, can I have your priestly blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocation. Join me every month, Father Craig Guerra, and usually Father David Pelican, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcast and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.